Mino Line Media presents Business of the Beat. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and I am a founder, brand builder, entrepreneur, and believe in the mantra Carpe Diem. I created this podcast, Business of the Beat, through my own experience as a beauty executive to talk about, tell stories, and highlight the business of beauty through conversations with beauty and wellness entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat. That's another thing too, redefining success. I think when I was thinking about becoming an entrepreneur in my mind, it was like, oh, if you're not making like $20 million a year, you know, this isn't going to be worth yes. it. And then I had to have a moment of like, girl, you are not making $20 million at any of these jobs. So why now? It's like... <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Last week, we had an amazing conversation on the role of DE&I in corporate infrastructures across industries. One of my favorite quotes from Alicia Williams, our guest, was, racism didn't just happen. There was intention. So that led us to not just understanding Alicia's role as the senior director of anti-racism and racial equity at Diva Curl, but also her role as co-founder of Nash and Pino. So we're excited to talk about Alicia's experience, not just building DEI across entities and companies, but also as an entrepreneur and a founder herself. Alicia, welcome back to Business of the Beat. Wow, Alicia, I'm just <laughs> obsessed with you. Um, so I want to pivot a bit to talk about Nash plus Pino, because as you're out here running the world, making change, changing policy, you just said creativity. Mm-hmm. And it's that creativity that you just mentioned that has also led you um, onto this journey of entrepreneurialism and creating this amazing company, Black-owned, and truly creating an impact in a space where there's not a lot of Black founders who are able to bring their vision to life. So tell us all about <laughs> Nash plus Pino. <laughs> Thank you so much. So, uh, so Nash and Pino, labor of love. If you've known me at any point in my time or my life, I love having my nails done. I don't have a favorite color. I just like a nice polished job. And what kind of, you know, what started this experience for me was when I started, you know, looking into like clean beauty. And then when you understand like what, you know, what is in some of the products that you use, it like, it made me freeze for a moment where it was like, I don't know what to use, like, you know, and all of these different things. And so um, I wanted, we started Nash and Pino as a labor of love because it's not only in the green beauty space, were there not a lot of brands that spoke to black and brown consumers, it was also more so you don't see the colors there either. Like I love bright colors. I live in Florida. It is summer all the time. So it's like, (laughs) I don't like, I like nudes, but you know, I like bright pinks. I like bright blues, bright greens, all of these different things. And so 
um, I was able to do this and create, um, you know, a color selection that spoke to me and was healthy for me. Um, and so that's what, you know, it's it's one of those things that you hear, um, you know, creating something that you don't see on the market and how do you do that? So um, it's been a, a beautiful journey. It is tough um, out here. Uh, content creation is not my thing. So, you know, just learning about what you're good at, what you're not good at. The supply chain piece, I understand very well. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so that's uh, Nash and Pino. It is, it's, it has been, you know, and also going back to with some of the words too about intentionality, um, how, where we source our products from, where we source, you know, our boxes, our, you know, tissue paper, all of those things have been done with intentionality because, you know, I believe in sustainability and I believe that we can, they're just, it doesn't take a lot of change in order for us to have a big impact. And I think, you know, a lot of brands are, you know, you can do that. Oh my goodness. Alicia, it's so fascinating to hear you say this because we have so many founders that are listening who are either in corporate jobs right now and dabbling and trying to figure it out. Or we have people who have just left their corporate job and they're like, what is this that I'm doing? And it's an interesting place to live in both worlds. So I want to dig into this a bit because you've mentioned some great things that we're all thinking about. Clean beauty, green beauty. What does it look like? supply chain. I may not be a content creator, but I know I have to be there. And then you grounded us in the intentionality of everything from sourcing to boxes and tissue paper. So Mm -hmm. I want to take a step back. So (laughs) you are D&I, like I said, you're out here doing all these things. And I love, I know I say this every show, so forgive me, but I love founders. I love the ability to say, I love having my nails done and I love bright colors. So what was this transition to say, now I'm going to be a founder and do what I love for polish? Um, I think it was just one, having the time. Um, I had a, I left my corporate job and I had time to work on it. Cause I think that's what a lot of it is, is you don't know how to balance time. Time is just hard to come by. As you get older, you're, you're like, I could have built 15 corporations in my twenties, you know? But, um, so I would say that's what it was. It was time me having, like, I had the idea, um, but wasn't sure how to go about doing it, but having the time to research and utilizing resources that help small businesses, you know, get on their feet and understand how do you create an LLC? How do you, um, you know, find vendors? How do you order samples? All of these different things. And also following, you know, founders online, like getting their tidbits, you know, as they're, you know, looking at this um, and and figuring out what's feasible for yourself and how to grow and, you know, grow your brand. So I would say just having time. I think it's welcoming transition because it's not always a bad thing. Um, And using that time to work on something for yourself, I would absolutely encourage because that's how this was able to be, you know, brought to fruition. Well, and it is interesting when you think about the balance of time and working on yourself, because there is this moment of, I want to take the time, but I have to pay my bills Mm -hmm. and I have all these responsibilities. And I think about, you know, when I started my first company, I was married, but we were young. We lived in New York. We didn't own anything. There was no (laughs) child. There were all these great moments where I could sit and tinker and do all these things. And then there's different life stages where, to your point, there's all these other responsibilities. So we often get asked, like, I want to take time to do it. 
I have to navigate everything else in my life and then I have to pay for it. Mm. So how did you kind of figure out this moment of time? How much time did you take? And then what did capital look like for you? Well, capital was a savings account. Awesome. <laughs> yes. I've never, you know, I haven't done, you know, any rounds of funding or any of that, but um, I use my savings um, to help get it started. And the time I would say that it took, but I was like, like I said, intentional. I was, I was hungry. I was ready to figure it out. So I would say it took maybe about eight months, eight months to research, figure out who I wanted to work with, understand just the legal pieces of it, because those are the things it's easy to have the product. That's kind of the, not the hard part, but how do you create a UPC? Did you know that was a thing? Like those types of like, <laughs> like, so yes. for this, right. So, um, you know, at talking to, you know, friends who are founders, how did you do this? Um, you know, so we have been self-funded um, and we have just grown that way, you know. And then, of course, with the pandemic, that helped because people were at home and taking care of their own beauty, you know, regimens and everything. So, yeah, so there is that component as well. But, yeah, I would say it, it took about eight months and then figuring out when I was going to launch it because the perfectionist in me is, well, it doesn't look this way. How do I post it? I don't know. And just realizing that everybody's out here trying to figure it out and you have to post and keep going, which is easier said than done. And I'm sure when people look, they're going to be like, well, uh, I haven't posted in a while, but you know, we're still, we do pop-ups and things here, you know, locally, but yeah, it's easier said than done, but just put yourself out there because I think once you get in the thick of this and you talk to more people and you realize everybody is just one trying to figure it out. They're doing the best that they can and you can still have a lot of success. And um, that's another thing too, redefining success. I think when I was thinking about becoming an entrepreneur in my mind, it was like, oh, if you're not making like $20 million a year, you know, this isn't going to be worth it. And then I had to have a moment of like, girl, you are not making 20 million at any of these jobs. So why now is like, (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh, it's that reality check. Like of hmm. redefining what does success mean to you? Because if this is something that becomes sustainable for the next 20 years of your life, that's success. And honestly, just seeing an idea, right, come to fruition and seeing your logo and, and your website, all of these things come together. You know, I'm designing a website, I'm putting this stuff together, and it's it's a beautiful feeling, you know. So just not being so hard on yourself when you're comparing your brand to companies that have teams and teams of people. It is so true. I mean, there is the difference. We all have ideas. I wake up every night with an idea, right? (laughs) And the, the difference is, can you bring that idea to fruition in a sustainable way? Like full stop. And so to your point, let's celebrate, let's congratulate. I say to founders all the time, your success is not defined by a billion dollar valuation, mm-hmm. right? Like it just, it can't be, or else why would we be here? There would, we would not have retail because there'd only be a few unicorn brands that got there, right? And so we have to applaud ourselves on having an idea, bringing it to fruition and having something that can give us the sustainability that we need. When we think about, the word billions, like in our own lifetime, look at the billionaires who are still mm-hmm. trying to give it away. You're trying to do this. And it's the means, yes, to do more and to help other people. 
And at the same time, we want to create something that we can say, we did this, we launched it. We didn't just talk about it. We were about it. And what we need in terms of generational inheritance is different because we don't know how big it can grow and expand, but we created the foundation. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I think the mindset shift for this work um, and like I said, just not putting so much pressure on yourself because it's absolutely doable. Um, and people are a lot more helpful than what you think. And so it, it's doable. Anybody can can get that idea out there into the world. And with social media, it's, yeah, it's definitely feasible. You're like, it is weird. It's okay. Well, mm-hmm. I want to talk about the research that you did because mm-hmm. that research piece is so crucial and you have such high standards. So not only was it thinking about the colors, the elasticity, like all the things that go into polish, but you had this clean green component on top. So what was that like to determine your formulations, your manufacturing? How did you ensure that your product stayed the way that you intended it? Uh, That was, well, once again, part of the research process with that and, you know, getting samples and things. But I would say part of that is one, knowing this industry pretty well. Cause like I said, I'm a nail polish connoisseur. Oh my goodness. There's like I said, a million colors throughout my life, but I think it was one understanding the industry, you know, personally and how I shopped as a consumer understanding what did other clean beauty brands, how do they compare from a pricing structure as well? Because it's expensive. Clean beauty is not super affordable with, you know, we can talk about the equity in that, but that's another topic, but you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, you know, kind of pricey to buy into. And so with that working with manufacturers that, you know, pay fair wages, can you walk through the facility to see what it looks like? And then honestly, from a, like just a business standpoint, what are the, you know, minimum order quantities? Do I, is it something that's sustainable as somebody that's starting out? So all of these different things, you know, I'm looking into as, you know, I'm doing research behind this. And like I said, just looking to see how other founders are doing things. What are some questions I need to be thinking of um, in order to keep pushing myself forward and, you know, make this come, you know, come alive. So those are some of the things I would say, like making sure that, you know, your standards do align with whoever you're working with, because, if you're if you say one thing and then you're not doing it, just like we see with other brands, it's going to come. Somebody's going to call it out and it's just not going to land how you're hoping. So with intentionality, once again, um, who is aligning with how I want these formulas to create? What colors do they have and how are we making this accessible to consumers in order to be a part of this clean beauty space? Well, and it's so important because there is this interesting equity factor that we kind of touched on, right? Because Mm -hmm. when you think about having clean products and you think about price points, you guys are at 16 Mm -hmm. for such an amazing product. And it's interesting because I was talking to my husband about some men's skincare products and one is $98 and one is $10, right? Mm -hmm. And we were talking about, wow, it's great that we can afford it. doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to spend it. But then you have all these people who do need access to clean products as a matter of health and as a matter of choice. Mm -hmm. And your ability to get into that sweet spot price point, it's phenomenal. And, And really knowing your standards and like, what are we going to change? What are we going to give and what's going to be important? And how did you figure out that pricing model in terms of the competition, the overall market and where you could sit? Was it trial and error? Were you 
this is what it's going to be. <laughs> well, no, it was it wasn't trial and error. We we did a lot of competitive research prior to, and so honestly, the average price that you'll see for ten free uh, nail polish, or you'll see up to fourteen free any of those things, it's going to be around twenty dollars. And for me, as a consumer of somebody who you know I love nail polish, I'm thinking, ooh, you know. Two color because you can't just buy one color, right? Then you yes. need a base and a top coat. So it's like, how do I make this appealing but also stay competitive? And so that's kind of the mindset that we had um, as we were creating the pricing structure for this because we want to be competitive and we have to be in order to last. However, how do we make it more attainable and for the size? So also there are brands that are a, you know a little cheaper, but our bottle size is larger. So you know you're getting bang for your buck, and you're getting quality, and you're getting clean beauty, and you're supporting you know a black owned brand. Like you know, I think you know we have a have a lot going on, or you know for folks <laughs> to support. But yeah, so that's how we came up with it um, with the pricing structure for Nash and Pino. And can you talk about the name? Nash and Pino. Yes. Okay. So Nash is my great, great grandmother's last name. I saw a picture of her, you know, maybe like 10 years ago and it kind of resurfaced. And I feel like it was kind of like a, I don't know, not a, I don't know, like a, a nod to like, go ahead and do it. And honestly, she kind of looks like, I look like her if I was back in that time, right? She has this bouffant, she has this you know, <laughs> collared dress and, you know, um, but also it's, you know, to pay homage to wear you know, where my ancestry comes from. And then also to the lack of opportunities she probably didn't have, you know? And so I think it was important, um, you know, for that piece. And then Pino, my husband, his great, great grandfather's last name is Pepino. So we put it together and, um, you know, it's, it's an ode to our family. We, you know, we're big on family. We both have big families as well. And it's also something that gave us room to grow because one thing that I did notice, you know, as you're looking at founders, when you kind of stick a name on, you're you're almost kind of telling, I don't know, the universe, like, okay, this is it, this is where we're going to stay. And so by naming it Nash and Pino, to me, just kind of gave it room to grow as we are able to grow and scale our business. Oh, I just, I love this story. <laughs> I love the ode to family and how important family is and to be able to connect it in a way that is just subtle enough. But mm-hmm. to your point, there's room to grow and mm-hmm. there's room to expand And you and this intentionality, I mean, the intention of the names together and the combination, it's so powerful. And I will say that earlier in our, in our previous show, you mentioned that your husband is also in DE&I, but he is also the co-founder of, of course, Nash and Pino. So how I'm fascinated by this. What is his role in the company? Well, of course, we know your role. You were picking all of the colors. Yes. You were doing all the things. Um, but what are, how do you guys balance him as your co-founder, him as the husband? You're in the same field. How do you create um, the differentiation within mm. your roles in the brand? It's that's it's hard. I think it's ongoing, um, just being transparent. I think with that, it's one because also too everybody, of course, everybody has a, a perspective and an opinion, but you know, when you're trying to explain to someone about all of your knowledge with nail polish and colors and all of these different things and what people want to see versus, you know, he's, you know, familiar with retail, you know, how does what does the consumer want to see from that perspective? So trying to merge and focus on drawing our strengths, right? Because both of us come to the table with very strong backgrounds and 
you know, how we work with people, what his knowledge capabilities are. And so that's kind of, it's, it's just an ongoing conversation, I would say that. But it, it's also been, you know, beautiful to grow something with him as well, you know. So it's not all bad, but it's just like with any sort of partnership, it's outlining the roles. How do we continue to focus on what our goal is and, you know, push these things forward? And what his role, I would say definitely like with the UPCs, he figured that out, right? So um, those types of things, um, like operations, like when we are doing wholesale you know, how do we package this up the most efficiently in numbering boxes? That's not even something I would have thought about. And he was like, yeah, this is how you do it. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, kudos to you. <laughs> but those types of, you know, when we have opportunities that come our way, uh, we've been able to to utilize it, our professional skill set with, you know, our, you know, our own brand. So like it's an ongoing conversation, but I think it's it's great. I would encourage, you know, anyone to do that. If you have a, an idea you know, figure out what it is, who, where your strengths and weaknesses lie, and you, you can figure it out. It is. It's, it's so interesting. I've started a business with co-founders, started one without a co-founder and circled mm-hmm. back to having a co-founder and the pure joy of having another skill set, having another peer, because mm-hmm. while the people in your company are part of a team and you're are mar- marching towards it, it, there's a different level of comfort and transparency and vulnerability that you have to have with the co-founder mm-hmm. to get to the end. And carrying the weight of being an entrepreneur is so much. So to be able to have a trusted partner to say like, what do you get? What am I getting? Oh my gosh. And like, as hard as it is, because there's no partnership that's worth having where there is not some type of conflict or strife or debate. It's just, it's life, it's people, right? But then you always come together in the end and you guys are so unique because you're bound by a different type of love, right? Mm -hmm. You have the love of your co-founder when you're building a business together, but it is a different type of love when you are in a partnership. And so it's like in any, whether your co-founder is someone that you met off the internet or someone that you've known a long time or a spouse, you have to find that common thread that when the time gets hard, which Mm -hmm. it will possibly on a daily basis, that you have something that is connecting you and binding you to the business to keep going. So Mm -hmm. I, I love to hear how special it is, but also thank you for being transparent that it's actually quite hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is is some days. (laughs) (laughs) Now, wait, okay, this is funny. So does your husband wear nail polish? No, he doesn't wear nail polish. No, but we, (laughs) when we have sampled colors, I'll, you know, like, hey, we need 10 other fingers, you know? So typically we're sampling colors to see like, okay, what we're doing for spring or summer, I'll have a group of my friends come over. Everybody gets a color on their finger. We're trying to see how it shows up on different skin tones, how, you know, it lasts on your nail. So that's probably his extent, but no, it's not his, uh, that's not his style. (laughs) He's like, that is not, he's like, babe, I love you. Let me go ahead and handle the operations and I'll be a try. He's like, but I'm not about to be the hand model. I am just not. A dream. <laughs> and does your daughter, I'm sure your daughter is like all about it. She, yeah, she is like in her blood. Absolutely. So with my daughter, it's mommy, can I have a pink, purple and orange toes? And then on my hands, can I have, it's like all of these different, these specifics, you know, and then if her yeah. friends have a color, then it switches. So absolutely. We do all sorts of color combos that I probably would not personally put together, but I do not <laughs> deny her creativity. So 
I love that. You're like, I do not. I was like, it's a family affair. Um, Okay. Well, yeah, I have just a few more questions. Um, You mentioned the supply chain of this and Mm -hmm. part of it is we can get, and I love how you said it. We can figure out how to get the goop in jars, right? Mm -hmm. Like we can figure out how to get the product supply chain, retail, capital, all those pieces are so necessary because if you just have the product, mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. the actual business? <laughs> so you said that, and I know that we have Marcus who's also doing operations, but what are some of those pieces that you've had to kind of take on and learn while also navigating family mm-hmm. and a corporate role? And now that you're kind of in it, what have you kind of said, I'm going to not be focused on and mm-hmm. kind of shift. Well, um, I w- well, definitely going back to um, what I'm not great at, which is the content piece. I consume content, but it's it's just not my thing. Um, so we had hired a young woman who lives here in Orlando, and she was you know running our content, and it was great. It was just such a weight lifted off because neither one of us really post that often, you know, even though that's a whole other topic, which I know you should as a founder. But with that, I think it eliminated a conversation that we would have all the time, right? Like, who's going to post? Did we plan this out? And, you know, going back to the partnership and how you're working with the founder, if you can alleviate some of those pain points, how are you doing that? And so that was something that we learned probably pretty early on, but we did it for as long as we could. Um, so outsourcing has been a great thing. Trying to find balance. I We make time for so many other things. It's hard to prioritize yourself, no matter how many cute quotes we read, how many times people tell us. It's yes. just hard. Like, <laughs> because it, I think, I don't know if it's because it feels selfish or if you feel, I, I'm not sure, but I think it's dedicating time for yourself, for your brand to see it through. Um, so you have to be intentional with that. You know, when you have a when you have a partner and you have a family, when you have a life, you have friends, you know, those types of things you want to prioritize and work on top of that, right? So you have a, a nine to five, then you have a five to nine. So I think it's how you're prioritizing your time. What can you automate? I think that's a big conversation for founders because you just, you cannot do it all. And especially when you're a very lean team of two, you can't. And so it's like, how can you outsource these things uh, to make it easier on yourself and to, you know, just to continue the progress of the business? Oh, mm-hmm. best tips ever. Mm-hmm. What can you outsource? How mm-hmm. do you figure out the value of time and money to mm-hmm. make the outsourcing possible so that you can lead and be your truest self to move the company forward? And then understanding what you can automate. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different tools. I know we've been on our company, like looking at the tools and technology to help so that we can focus on the pieces. And while technology may not replace, it will help amplify so that you have time to do the other pieces. And I love that because we do forget. We forget about the ability to outsource because we love it or we Mm want to hold it or we're trying to save funds. But then when we do that equation of time and money outsourcing, how can I be my highest potential? I know it's something that I think about, struggle with and try and figure out every day. (laughs) (laughs) And it's hard to, you know, if you, because it is, you know, it's your baby, right? You want to see it through. You want to make sure that you have some sort of creative control over these things, but sometimes you have to let go and focus on what you're the best at. 
um, in order to see your business succeed and just accepting that you can't do it all. Something has to take precedent and it's not all of the things on your list, unfortunately. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I had a, another guest on who was like time blocking, right? So mm-hmm. we have to cut, prioritize, and then realize we can't do it all and be honest with yeah. ourselves as founders. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few, few last things, you know, we've had people ask, how do you communicate internally that you want to do internally at a company mm-hmm. that you want to start your own brand? And some people have said, I'm just not going to tell anybody at work that I'm doing this. And then I'm going to tell them when it launches. The hard part about that is that we live in social media and transparency and communication is key because heaven forbid something slip or you post something or somebody says something. So how did you navigate saying, I'm going to have this responsibility at my company. I'm committed. You said nine to five, Diva Curl, and then you got five to nine. What was that conversation like and what advice that you can share um, Mm -hmm. and what advice would you offer founders who are in this duality of roles with their own company and their corporate company that I hear from a lot of people, they actually love their corporate jobs, but they also Mm -hmm. love creating their own brand. Right. Um, Yeah. And you absolutely hear that a lot with creatives, artists, all of that as well. But I would say, well, what my experience was, um, it was something that was upfront also because I worked you know, National Pinot is in beauty, right? And so you don't, even though you're, you know, you're seen as a competitor in my eyes, I'm like, look, you know, we're, we're just starting out, but it's one of those things that's best to be upfront about it, um, which was my experience. If maybe if you, whatever you're creating is not in the same industry that you're working in, maybe there's a little more wiggle room there. Um, but um, we had the conversation and basically the feedback was like, you know, you just can't work on this during the day. And so this goes back to automating processes. So using things like, you know, that automate your post, um, using those apps that, okay, I've uploaded all my content. It's going to post for me at two and then you're done with that. Or you have somebody who is controlling your, um, you know, your social media. And so those are the types of things that I think, you know, are important. So um, to kind of get around it, because, you know, of course, you know, you, anybody would, you know, not be telling the truth. You're like, oh, absolutely not any of this. Like when you have to, you know, do a package and then go pick up your kid or something like that. But for the most part, I think you're able to, get around that by automating things and dedicating that time in the afternoon to, you know, making sure that you are, you're working on your business. You have to work on your own dream. Oh my gosh, Alicia, (laughs) you have to work on your own dream. These jewels, you know, it's so funny because when I was leaving my corporate job to start Digital Brand Architects, my first Mm -hmm. company, one of the things that the chief of staff said to me was that, you know, your last name isn't Lauren, because I was the first director of digital media. Mm -hmm. Your last name isn't Lauren. And you don't want to look back and be like, I should have done it. And she was like, you can always come back here. You can always create something else, but you have to follow what you're dreaming as well. And if it works, you'll be happy if it doesn't do something else and get another dream. And so I love that. You have to work on your dream. Thank you. It's a great reminder for all of us. And the last thing is, is how are you thinking about capital? Capital continue. Capital and retail seem to be the main things that I get coming at me all the time. So let's tackle both. How are you thinking about retail? I know you mentioned wholesale. And how are you thinking about capital? 
I would say now that we both kind of, you know, we, the first half of the year was busy. It was busy for both of us um, with our nine to five. So now we've kind of circled back. Okay. What's next? What I'm thinking about as far as retail, I mean, of course I would love to be in, you know, in a big box retailer, but once again, going back to following founders, that's, that's difficult too to be on an end cap. It's difficult for those types of things. But, you know, if I could be in Target, be in Ulta, that would be great. Um, but from a capital perspective, I want to be able to open up, you know, a nail salon. I think there's spaces that I've been to that are cool, but it's just still not, you know, I haven't seen what it is that I want to see and what I want to experience when I'm going to a nail salon. And even like, like I said, the the colors, clean beauty doesn't always equate to tans and greens, right? Like we can be vibrant and I want a space that is reflective of that while still, you know, supporting green beauty, clean beauty and all of those things. So, so yeah, absolutely. That's what I would be thinking about with capital. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. I love this. I I so want you and Joy M. Hutton of On The Go Glam. She has an On The Go Glam service to connect you with makeup artists and stylists and all these things. Her dream is to have a wine bar. So mm-hmm. there will be a wine bar and there will be a nail salon. You can serve the wine. You can get your nails done and everybody will be working and all of the stylists will be using Nash and Pino. So that's that is why I'm bringing it together. Well, Alicia, this has just been phenomenal. Thank you for being with us for two shows, mm-hmm. for sharing so much in terms of DEI and culture and what you're creating. And then also as a founder of Nash and Pino and yes. being so transparent about building that company. Our last question, because we are about community here and you are surrounded by great beauty products. So we always like to give a shout out to Mm -hmm. another brand or product that we're excited about. Um, So who would you like to shout out? I have several. Um, (laughs) Definitely, you know, the lip bar. I've been following her, you know, uh, and that Melissa and, and her journey um, you know, Black Girl Sunscreen, been following them, um, you know, and just these spaces that, you know, it's important for us to take up, um, Organic Bath Co., um, all the body butter needs that you, you know, may ever want. So like I said, I have a list, but that could be another podcast episode. <laughs> I, I vote with my dollars. I support brands that I believe in and founders. I, we all know how it is. So I support folks as much as I can, especially in this beauty space. So those those are the three that come top of mind. Oh my gosh. I love it. Lip balm, Black Girl Sunscreen, which I have literally the mat right here. It's and um, organic bath co. So yeah. we love the community. And um, to close out the show, I have to ask you, what has been the defining moment in your career? I, w- I would say um, the defining moment in my career, um, it was honestly probably once I started doing, I was the co-chair for the Converse Diversity Network and meeting other people in the DEI space, realizing that this was a career path that I could have, that I could go from working with, you know, underprivileged youth to underprivileged adults, you know, in these spaces and making a career out of it because I'm so passionate about this work. I was willing to do it on top of my job and knowing that I can devote, you know, my expertise and my passion, you know, all day to this, it was, it was a defining moment because it, all of the experiences that I've had it all. And it came full circle for me too. You know, I would say that once I realized this was a career path, it was like, 
this is why I had this experience. This is why, you know, I was doing this work because I think everybody has a moment where you're like, oh, I wish I was doing something else. And once I started progressing in this space, there's not anything else I would want to do. And so I think it's a great full circle moment. So yeah, if I have to work for, yeah, yeah, same. I love this. Oh my gosh. I love full circle moments. Well, Mm -hmm. it's these defining moments that we get to hold on to kind Mm -hmm. of no matter what happens. And then we get to have the full circle where we see where we see it truly manifest itself. So Mm -hmm. this is exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have loved every minute. I cannot wait to get my Nash and Pinot polish on and share the many colors with your daughter and my daughter. It's going to be a great nail party. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And every week I share an influencer I'm checking out. And thanks to Alicia and her multiple brand shout outs, please make sure to follow Black Girl Sunscreen. That is at Black Girl girl sunscreen founded by Shantae Lundy, who was also a guest on the podcast. So make sure you check out that episode. And as always, I want to leave you with one thing from today's guest, and that is how will you push yourself out there? Alicia talked about in both episodes how she pushed herself out there, how she made a pivot, how she created something that she was passionate about and followed her dream and also made time for her dream. So how will you push yourself out there? How will you create space for yourselves to follow your own dream? And with that, follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. We love to hear from you. Leave a five-star rating and a review. And make sure to check out episodes one and two from Alicia Williams. Until next week. Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, executive producer Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, edited by Fish Mar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast, and on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a Mean Old Line Media production.